Welcome. Tonight is the Worst Ideas of Marxism by Joe Sims. These are highlights from four separate August 2008 articles. The Worst Things About Marxism by Joe Sims. Socialist Realism. While some mighty pieces of art and literature were produced within the framework of the Sesthetic School, some not-so-great ones were too. And by the way, what's wrong with a little, or even a lot, of escapism now and then? It's hard out here for the party of a new type. Well, it's just my opinion, but as I see it, all art is subjective and viewed from the point of view of the viewer. And so if Joe Sims is talking about socialist realism, that's his view of socialist realism as a practice and not really a Marxist interpretation because Joe Sims is not a Marxist-Leninist. That is correct. He doesn't have the credentials. When he says bad, because we're talking about Joe Sims, who's not a Marxist-Leninist, who's a pretender, is it possible that what he means is bad socialist realism is usually in response to the accomplishments of a leader like Stalin? You're correct. He's really attacking Stalin without using the word. If you notice, everything he says, you'll see it's during the Stalin period. So that's when he brings out his guns. Anything to do with Stalin or Mao, he detests. And he makes it obvious. Lenin is also his target, but anything to do with Stalin, with his socialist construction, socialist realism, in the arts, in the sciences, anything. He's anti-Stalin, so he's looking at everything through those glasses. And you have to keep in mind that the Congress of Cultural Freedom, which was propped up by the CIA, was created to essentially be a counter to contest Soviet art, especially Soviet realism. Congress of Cultural Freedom propped up many abstract artists like Jackson Pollock to create what, in my opinion, paint splattered on the canvas. The fact that the CIA basically just propped up these abstract artists to splatter paint on a canvas and just call it art is was basically, oh, look at America, look at how free our art is in comparison to the stiff Soviet realism. It's the way to slander the Soviet Union without directly slandering it. I want to point out, after the Stalin period, in the Khrushchev period and on, you can see it primarily in the architecture as well as the art style. They actually got away from socialist realism. Even during the Stalin period, they allowed for a mix of different styles within their architecture, but overall it's that socialist realism fixation but tailored to the conditions of the locale. So there would be, in Poland, for example, there was a city called Novahota that was the subject of incredible city planning that I highly recommend everyone look up. But there were specific details that were added in that were tailored specifically to that area. But all of it was tailored around socialist realism, which eventually around the late 60s, early 70s, they started getting away from which further supports the idea that Joe Sims is specifically attacking the Stalin period. And I 
hope everyone pays attention to that because this is going to continue throughout the entire reading. Continue on with the next one. The class struggle intensifies under socialism. Developed during the Stalin years, this formula became an excuse for a criminal act. It may, however, be true in today's incarnation of the socialist market economy, hopefully without the same dire consequences. I went ahead and did the due diligence of reading their entire constitution, and I recommend everyone here do so. I want to point out, they don't mention anything about market socialism in the Constitution. The CPUSA actually mentions that socialism in itself is a disintegration of the anarchy of the market. However, I would implore you to look at their Constitution, take a look at what Josephs is saying, because it was ratified under the Sam Webb era and updated under Joe Sims and their co-chair. The idea of the class struggle intensifying under socialism was originated under Stalin. I'm going to read something short from the right deviation in the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. The dying classes are resisting, not because they have become stronger than we are, but because socialism is growing faster than they are, and they are becoming weaker than we are. And precisely because they are becoming weaker, they feel that their last days are approaching, and they are compelled to resist with all the forces and all the means in their power. Such is the mechanics of the intensification of the class struggle and of the resistance of the capitalists at the present moment in history. That's by Stalin. In relation to the intensification of the class struggle, it also, with the mention of market socialism, is that a reminder that you have two lines in geometry and Two of them are very determined to win. For example, the second economy, the entrepreneurs, especially created the classes that eventually led, with the help of Gorbachev's reforms, to the disillusion of the Soviet Union. It was definitely the idea of Stalin. The more weaker they become and the more vicious they become as well. That's pretty much a Stalin thing, but Lenin kind of talked about it too. Marx not so much, I think. He attacks the Soviet Union during the period of socialist construction when the proletariat was establishing itself as the dominant force in the nation and claims this is a great atrocity, but is also willing to claim that it is perfectly fine for a country with a bourgeois system to have the same ideals behind it. As Angelo indicated, and other members also, comrades indicated, because you suppress the bourgeois state apparatus and his armed forces, it doesn't mean the class struggle is over, because once the ruling classes are smashed and the economy is under the control of the working masses, there are people like special intelligentsia who hide. They look like socialists, they talk socialists, but they can be compared to the deep state in North America. They look like you, they will talk socialist, they will talk communist, but deep down, they will wait for the time to overthrow the socialist state. So I think Stalin was referring to those social, economic, and cultural forces. When they say the class struggle intensifies under socialism, that's an entirely truthful statement historically and has been shown to be true. 
So his attack on the concept itself is on its face patently false and not true. But secondly, as D'Angelo was saying, Mr. Sims is attacking Stalin. It's just a veiled attempt to attack Stalin, and by extension, it's an indictment of the Soviet experience. So I don't really take his argument at face value when he's talking about the concept of the class struggle. We are optimists. Title of a report by Lenoid Brezhnev to a CPSU Congress a few moments, moments in the broad time sweep of history, before the wall came tumbling down. I think this analysis of Joe Sims is rather narrow. He's criticizing a report from Brezhnev titled, We Are Optimists. I believe this was 81. And then he says, a few moments, moments in the broad time sweep of history before the wall came tumbling down. Somehow, I think he's trying to tie this speech from Brezhnev in the early 80s, before Perestroika, before Gorbachev, to the wall tumbling down in Berlin. It doesn't even make any logical sense, let alone any historical sense. And if in the same way that he says, oh, these are the worst things of Marxism, we are optimists is one of the worst things about Marxism. I guess my question is, how are you going to be a Marxist and then be a perpetual pessimist? It doesn't even make any sense. The whole point is that socialism is an advancement of human society. It's taking human civilization from one period in history and advancing them to another stage in human history, advancing productive relations, advancing productive forces. And when you have somebody like Joe Sims saying, being optimistic is one of the top 10 worst things of Marxism. I think it just goes to show the undialectical nature of this individual and how they're not really thinking hard about these kinds of things. Rather, they're trying to formulate a BuzzFeed article over the topic of Marxism. Personally, I think it's embarrassing. One has to know Joe Sims to understand where he's coming from. He is a tired, extremely tired, bored, old man who's been doing this for too long. His heart is not into it. 30 years ago, his heart wasn't into it, let alone now. After 91, when everybody became depressed, when the leaders of the CPUSA, like Roberta Wood, quote, unquote, thank God we don't have that hammer and sickle around our neck anymore. It was an albatross. That's a quote from Roberta Woods. It was an albatross. She said that at a central committee meeting. They've all been there too long. They're tired. They have no passion for this ideology anymore. None. Zero. Unlike our party, which says passion for our ideology and compassion for our comrades, Joe Sims has neither. Towards Soviet America. Title of a book by William Z. Foster. That's really a bad title. Bill Foster, what were you thinking? I think William Z. Foster was thinking of things far more revolutionary and ideologically than Joe Sims. And I think that Joe Sims shows his ass here and how small the person he is. He criticizes the word Soviet, and that just means council, and that's democracy. So this guy's anti-democratic and anti-socialist, but he's the head of a communist party. That doesn't make any sense to me. Using that word Soviet, I think it's a perfectly rational thing for us to aim for. 
And it harkens back to a poem by Langston Hughes, put one more S in the USA to make it Soviet. And that's a particularly powerful poem. talks about the farmers owning the land. Like the comrade said earlier, Soviet only means council. To discount that is to discount the whole working class movement altogether. Joe Sims is a laundry list of complaints, is all it is. It doesn't hold any water. Democratic centralism. Isn't it interesting that those who advocate democratic centralism most practice it least? Which is not to say it's practical much or at all anywhere by anyone in the U.S. How about substituting it all for one, one for all? That's the spirit. P.S. This concept, like many others, will have to be examined in relation to the theoretical implications posed by the Internet, where lateral and horizontal structures via social network gain increasing prominence. Stay tuned for a new article on the party of a new type and the Internet. It may make the concept more dynamic or render it irrelevant. Let's see. There is a lot to unpack here, definitely. Horizontal structures existed before the Internet, and the implication that the Internet in any way renders democratic centralism obsolete is ridiculous. It's called anarchism. That It's been attempted multiple times. The Internet doesn't change anything there. And I think that the second-to-last sentence where he says that it may render it irrelevant exposes his true intentions. I feel like this is the section where we can confidently say that he may as well be an op if he's not already on federal payroll. Democratic centralism is one of the most fundamental parts of Marxist-Leninist theory. And trying to destroy it like he is, is abhorrent, especially from the position of a leader of a communist party. Regarding Sims's attack on democratic centralism, it seems to me that the lack of party discipline is precisely the problem facing the American Social Democrats in their entryism efforts within the Democratic Party. As with no centralism, individualistic incentives draw politicians away from the work of advancing the interests of the working class. This is more humorous than anything else. When I'm listening to Mr. Sims suggesting that we change the name of democratic centralism to all for one, one for all, I find it rather amusing, and I probably would like to remind Mr. Sims that we're the Communist Party, not the Three Musketeers. Being anti-democratic centralism is to be anti-Marxist-Leninist. You have Cuba, China, the DPRK. They also practice democratic centralism. It's ridiculous that you would poo-poo one of our core tenants. Sims presents this view that democratic centralism is something that ought to be overcome. And I think that comes from a place of a fundamental misunderstanding of how democratic centralism and the Leninist Party came to be, which is in an environment of a lot of state repression and of a lot of forms of opportunism, both from the right and from the left. So to think that one technological innovation could allow us to suddenly no longer need this structure means that he doesn't recognize that there's still a class war being fought, there's still this class dynamic 
that makes it so that the state repression will continue to exist and these forms of opportunism will continue to crop up despite whatever technological innovation there is. So this isn't a form that's going to go away unless class society goes away. This is more of Joseph's negativity and subjective viewpoint. I can understand why he doesn't like realism. I was sent this article a couple of weeks ago, and I started reading through it, and when I got to this part, I was kind of shocked, this part on democratic centralism. Pretty much everything he says here, like so many others have said, is that it's anti-Marxist. When he starts talking about lateral and horizontal structures, I was almost ready just to check out of this article, to be honest. It's so short, but there's just so much wrong with it. I'm not really sure how this came out of the CPUSA. I understand that they're not the same organization they were 50 years ago, but this is ridiculous to me. I recommend everyone strap in for this one. Class against class. The policy advocated by Zinoviev et al. in the famous third period of the Comintern, advocating direct battle with capital with no allies or middle ground. He's got everything wrong. This guy has nothing right. Don't ever go to Atlantic City to gamble with this guy because you'll lose your pants. This guy <laughs> has gotten everything wrong. Everything. What he's really saying, he doesn't agree with the class struggle. That's what he's saying. Class against class is a class struggle. So that's what he's saying. This guy should not even be in the Boy Scouts. Let's be clear about it. He knows nothing from nothing. He heard things along the way, and he's spouting them. And this is the best guy that the CPUSA puts as their leader? Give me a break. I think people are critically thinking about this. They're thinking about why the CPUSA is the organization that it is today and why we're on this phone call. I want to remind people that political affairs has a rich history from 1945 all the way to the present, as well as the CPUSA has had a rich history. People like Wayne Z. Foster, people like James Ford, people like John Reed, Henry Winston, William L. Patterson, Claudia Jones, Jack Kling, W.E.B. Du Bois, the list goes on and on. The importance of us carrying the torch, carrying the crimson flag, carrying the banner. It's important to understand that the same organization that gave us Bill Foster, that gave us all those people I mentioned, is now led by Joe Sims, the person that we've meticulously going through and looking at their analysis, not on a blog post, not on a tweet. This is from Political Affairs. This is the ideological magazine of the Communist Party, and it has been. It's had different iterations and different titles. started in 1911. It was called The Masses but it's basically been the same publication. It's important for us to acknowledge that we have no choice but to carry on the legacy of fighting for socialism, of fighting for communism, because it's clear that the CP has abandoned it. This may have been written in 2008, but it was also written in the run-up to a presidential election in 2008. So at the same time that you're supposed to be offering an alternative, you're supposed to be speaking to the American people about why the two-party political system is bankrupt ideologically, is bankrupt because they're completely indebted to capitalism, completely indebted to making sure markets are expanded and implemented on a global level, crushing people at home, making sure people are sleeping homeless under bridges. And you have people like Joe Sims saying, oh, you know, we need some class collaboration. In this situation where we pour bleach on dumpsters so homeless people can't eat it, I think we need a little class collaboration. That's the analysis that Joe Sims is giving. I think people need to critically analyze that. 
about why would Joe Sims be advocating for class collaboration in a time like this, in a year like 2008, in a year like 2015, in a year like 2021? It doesn't make any sense. It's undialectical. It's anti-Marxist. It's anti-Leninist. It's obviously against Stalin. It's against the Soviet Union. And it's against everything that the CP formally stood for. This is embarrassing. It's shameful. And I am proud that these phone calls are working to carry on the tradition of socialism, the tradition of communism, and to make sure that people like Joe Sims and the CP do not have the last say on carrying on socialism. This is a really weird thing for him to bring up. It shows class collaborationist aspirations. There's no objective viewpoint here. It's completely subjective to what he believes. It's not actually a criticism of the actual idea presented. It's just he disagrees with it because it's not class collaborationist. I think that's really all it can boil down to because there's nothing of substance here. And I think that sums up the way that CPUSA works today with the way that they operate. I think this idea that Joe Sims loves critiquing so much really exposes him as a revisionist being against class struggle. What kind of communist are you? Go join the Democrats. Quit calling yourself a communist if you believe in class collaborationism. It's that simple. So the class versus class slogan of the 20s, it was the idea that you don't talk to the leaders of the socialist parties, social democratic reformist parties, because they were class traders, and look what they did to the communists in 1919. They actually got some killed. But then when Hitler came in 1933, it was a change of policy for the communist parties in the world to talk to the leaders of those parties, the Social Democratic Party, because we had to beat the main danger. So they put a little bit of water in their wine, if you will, but it still don't change the class struggle. It's just you had to beat Hitler or else be killed. So that was the idea of the popular front. And of course it worked. The old communist parties have capitulated the position that the corporations, given time and struggle, will become socialist. What can be more degenerate than that? We have to avoid those people. They are totally liquidationist. Those are not socialists. And my conclusion is that they have really joined the international imperialist class of bankers and millionaires. I'm really glad you brought up class collaboration because you'll find on page 51 of the Constitution, again, ratified in 2005 under Sam Webb and edited in 2015 under Joe Sims and their co-chair, you will find that they actually describe the broadest front against monopoly capital. And it highly implies class collaborationism between the working class and the petty bourgeois. I highly recommend that everyone else read it. I don't want to make broad assumptions, but considering everything that Joe Sims has implied throughout the entire reading, I highly, highly recommend that everyone reread their constitution. He has had a direct hand in what their constitution is, and it only strengthens our position. We're talking about what he wrote in 2008, which you just mentioned was something that was 2015. So we can jump to 2015 and assume at least at that point in time they are still on the same subject and these sections are quite relevant. 
Socialism in One Country, Stalin's slogan aimed at securing national and international support for the attempt to construct socialism in the USSR after the revolutionary wave at the end of World War I was in part suppressed or failed to materialize. As it turned out, socialism in one country was neither socialist nor in one country. The USSR was composed of many countries with different levels of economic and social development. Again, going off the theme that we've been talking about, Joe Sims having some sort of a weird obsession with trying to discredit Stalin in a backhanded way. There's no point on here where he says Stalin is one of the worst things about Marxism or Marxism-Leninism, but he has no problem saying that a bunch of Stalin's contributions are some of the worst things. With socialism in one country, we have to understand that Marx, thinking that revolution would come from the most industrialized, what we would consider Western countries, Stalin's understanding of socialism in one country adapted that to the situation of the Soviet Union. And we have to understand that the primary alternative to socialism in one country was Trotsky's idea of permanent revolution. And so, in a way, Joe Sims is actually taking a back alley to Trotskyism without actually openly endorsing Trotskyism, but through the lens of trying to discredit Stalin without actually having one of his worst things about Marxism just be Stalin. If he was so anti-Stalin, it should be very easy to say that Stalin was one of the worst things about Marxism, but he's actually not intellectually honest enough to do that. So he has to say that Stalin's contributions were the worst things about Marxism. It's embarrassing. To even give him less credit, because at least on paper, as much as I may not like Trotskyism, they usually at least don't advocate class collaboration. So he's an even less principled Trotskyite. Yeah, I guess I just wanted to reiterate the Trotsky points here. That's what I saw from this quote, especially saying that the Soviet Union wasn't socialist. These are typical Trotskyite talking points. Maybe Joe Sims is a closet Trotskyist or something like that. It's ridiculous. Honestly, the whole thing is ridiculous. This is the last of the worst things about Marxism by Joe Sims. Forward, ever. Backward, never. Slogan advocated by the heroic New Jewel movement of Granada before the tragic events there. Comrades, you cannot keep marching forward forever. For one, your feet will get tired. And Dr. Souls won't help. Inspiring but ultimately wrong, wrong, wrong. Even slogans must have a scientific foundation. I hope that after reading all these things collectively and getting everybody's input on how ridiculous the leader of the alleged Communist Party USA stands, I think that we need to put together some kind of a polemic so that comrades around the world don't confuse our party with that other party. And we have to make it clear why. Because we are a fighting, working-class party we're not class collaborationists in any way. The best example that I know of is that we stand and fight with the WFDU, the World Federation of Trade Unions, and that's an example of class-oriented class struggle. That's something that Joe Sims and the rest of those people do not understand at all. I think we need to make it clear to the world the difference. It sounds defeatist to say that we can't just keep going forward because we get tired. 
it would be hard to continually go forward alone, but that's why we do it together as a collective, and we march forward with strength. I think this point Joe is trying to make here, I don't think it even really takes a whole lot of thought to see how ridiculous it is. I think that Sims is also showcasing a lot of national chauvinism here, and the fact that he brings up that Dr. Souls won't help from a supposedly Marxist leader of a communist party, it doesn't even take a whole lot of effort to see how ideologically bankrupt Joe Sims is. And looking at political affairs, he also put out another article in which he says that his views don't necessarily reflect that of the Communist Party as a whole. But I think we can all see how ridiculous that notion is, considering he is the supposed ideological leader of the Communist Party. From where the party has fallen to this point, I think that it's a tragedy that Joe Sims can even sit in the position that he's in. Nothing goes out from that party without it being vetted by others in the party. Do you want to expound on that? Seeing as how Joe Sims is saying this is his opinion. Yeah, I'll give you an example. Joe Sims claims he's different than Sam Webb. He's not different. Guess where he learned how to do that? From Sam Webb. Sam Webb put out stuff in which he said, I'm not putting this out in the name of the party. These are my own views. And then the party paid to put those in print, hundreds and thousands of copies the party paid to disseminate that. What does that mean? I'll tell you what it means. It's lying. They're trying to have your cake and eat it too. That's what they're trying to do. Under that thinking, he said, and we got to locate this, comrade, that the Soviet Union was never socialist. It was post-capitalist. I remember that so clear. I read it five times when I saw it. I couldn't believe what he was saying. He put that out when he was controlling the party. He put that out as his own, not the views of the party. What kind of nonsense is that? So therefore, there's not even a cohesion in the Central Committee, or then they call it the National Committee. There's not even a cohesion, like-minded, no democratic centralism, I guess he's right. In his party, they don't practice democratic centralism anymore. They haven't since 2000. They haven't done that. It's my view that everything has to be vetted, and if it's not, it doesn't get put out. I consider it very important that we try to spread out exposing the CPUSA's methods and what they are saying, what they do especially considering that one of the many apologetics that you will hear is that, oh, this was said in 2008, or, oh, this was taken out of context. We really need to combat this and try to show that, no, nothing has changed. The party has continued to remain a social democratic party that still calls itself communist. A lot of people brought up class collaboration in the CPUSA, and the Greek party recently put out an article on the dissolution of the Comintern, and it discusses various aspects of the Popular Front period, especially the left-center alliances 
and the national unity campaign that a lot of communist parties implemented to grow their influence among the broad masses. And I highly encourage everyone to read the article which has been republished on Red Patriot, which is redpat.org. The party leadership generally agrees with it, and we are also putting out other material analyzing it. It's all connected. I implore everyone to check it out. The article that the KKE put out, in there it appeared that one of the reasons that the dissolution occurred was because the West allies in the middle of the war wanted to open a new front. They were upset with the fact that there are a lot of communist parties and organizations in the Western countries, and they felt that they were weakened by that. And basically, Russia stepped back, and that was one of the reasons why they did it, because they considered the fight during that war and opening a new front was important. Right after the dissolution, I think that KKE mentioned that they had a conference in Tehran and opened up the second front. The second front meant that the Allied would invade Normandy from England, and they would create a second front. The Nazis were fighting the Bolsheviks on the Eastern Front. Now they were going to have to fight the Western Front. The Greek party also disagrees with the idea that the dissolution of the Comintern actually furthered the defeat of the Nazis. I do enjoy these polemics and the critiquing of Joe Sims, absolutely ridiculous critique of his own ideology, supposed ideology that he holds. I also saw another copy of this. They included things like organic intellectual, that Joe Sims critiqued. He said that was a bad idea by Antonio Gramsci. And he also said that Bertolt Brecht's idea, you know, the guy that we have a quote of on our website, his idea that art is a hammer by which we used to shape reality. He said that was bad also. Coming from Eritrea and having some knowledge about the National Liberation Movement, which are also anti-imperialist and progressive, and they also have long-term aspirations for socialist reconstruction in their countries. One of them is Eritrea. The other one is Angola, Mozambique, Guinea-Bissau. And I think given their experiences and why they ended up being taken over by the petty bourgeois intellectuals and imperialism, it shows that the leadership was not vigilant in those countries, in Guinea-Bissau, Angola, Mozambique, because the petty bourgeoisie took over finally. And the aspirations and all the sacrifices of those people who died fighting for their independence did not hold water. And in this case, the National Liberation Movement, the leadership must be always careful to dump the petty bourgeois elements after the victory of the revolution. About democratic centralism and to creating content outside of the purview of the party, Red Patriot recently put out an article that is fantastic about content creators and creating content that is outside of the purview of the party. When it is not within sight of the purview of the party, it is in the purview of capital, and we refer to it as bourgeois. And to strengthen our commentary on it, we refer to Comrade Lenin, 
in an article referring to newspaper articles being created and how this is party work. And the only way that we can create communist content is if it is in the purview of a communist party. I am oversimplifying, but I implore everyone to go on Red Patriot and read the article yourselves. It is very good. A couple of things I put down. Number one, Dimitrov, very important. The United Front, how the United Front works. I'm paraphrasing it now. We joined the United Front not to support the leadership of the bourgeois parties. We joined the United Front so that we can work with the rank and file of the bourgeois parties. The CP today has taken what Dimitrov said and changed it. They say the struggle against Trump means it's a struggle against fascism which means we have to work with the Democratic Party, hook, line, and sinker, against fascism. And that is not what Dimitrov said. That's why I'm saying you've got to get the original version of Dimitrov. Number two, the CP is now putting out buttons and paraphernalia, mugs and everything. I went to their website last night. They're trying to catch up. But let me tell you what their new slogan is. Wait till you hear this. Let's move just a little bit left, end quote. Can you believe that slogan? Let's move just a little bit left. What? What are we, liberals? We got to move a little bit left from the moderates? Number three, the slogan from the Maurice Bishop New Jewel Movement in Grenada. Pronounced Grenada, not Granada. Granada is a place near Spain, near the Gibraltar area. That's not what we're talking about. Grenada, their slogan makes total sense for anybody who's involved with a movement. Always go forward, forward ever. Never go backwards, backward never. That's their slogan. Why is that such a bad slogan? To me, that's very optimistic, positive, but of course, Sims and the leadership of the party is not optimistic. That's obvious. That's why they attacked the Brezhnev book. I mean, there's so many things you could disagree with Brezhnev. <laughs> Look what they disagreed with, <laughs> that he was optimistic. And by the way, the wall did not come down at the same time. It came down almost 10 years later. 10 years later, the wall came down. And Comrade is correct. That was an anti-fascist wall. But Joe Sims, not to know that, and he's a leader of the party, Read everything he writes. Read everything he writes and everything he says in those four different segments. In 1995, I had rejoined the party. They got rid of the people in 1991, the Gorbachev people, Angela Davis, James Jackson, Danny Rubin, Herbert Aptheker, all these so-called leaders left the party, and they walked across the street, and they formed a new group called the Committees of Correspondence. One of them was Danny Rubin. In 1995, they asked Danny Rubin to come back again. This is a COC person who was anti-Gus Hall, anti-Soviet. They said, come back. Come back into the leadership. Don't just join. I mean, they wouldn't allow Earl Browder to rejoin as an average person. They welcomed back Danny Rubin and James Jackson, these renegades. They welcomed them back 
into the leadership. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I had asked to get involved with the Jewish Commission. And this is what Danny Rubin said. He knew me. Angelo, Angelo is a Stalinist. That was his reasoning. Angelo is a Stalinist. At the same token, he was saying that political affairs was welcoming Trotskyites. Not only that, at their convention that Comrade went to, their last convention, the CP, he says that there was a big photo of Trotsky there. I said, are you sure? He said, yes, I know what I'm talking about. So they've been soft on Trotsky for God knows how long, but they're still anti-Stalin. I want to end the class with that. I hope people learn something. I hope you use tonight's information to deal with polemics on the Internet and in your life when you come in contact with people who are either in the CP now or young people are joining the CP. It is the worst group on the left, in my opinion, because the leadership is lying to the membership. And that's all I want to say. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. Good night. Thank you for listening to this full-length class from the People's School for Marxist-Leninist Studies. Support us at newoutlookpublishers.net, join us on Discord, follow us on Twitter, and visit peopleschool.org to sign up for free classes.